Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Politics in the Pulpit, our lectionary-based preaching resource brought to you by the Joint Public Issues team. We're pleased to have you here with us. Uh, my name is David Main. I'm a Baptist minister based in Essex, and I'm delighted that joining me today is Reverend Grace Thomas. Grace, an Anglican priest serving the parishes of Mossside and Wally Range in the Diocese of Manchester, where Grace is also uh, the Dyson or one of the Dyson environmental officers as well. So, Grace, welcome. Thank you. It's really good to be here. It's great to have you here. And just mentioning about your work as a diocesan environmental officer, uh, I said, I'm just going to wave uh, a fairly recent publication that's got Grace's name in it, along with your colleague, Mark Coleman, in the Grove Booklet series, Climate Action as Mission. And I, I can vouch for this being very good. So friends, uh, get yourself to your uh, appropriate uh, purchasing facilities and uh, avail yourself of that excellent resource. Um, Grace, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, politics in the pulpit, is that a natural thing for you? Do these things naturally knit together or um, is it a bit more challenging? Um, for me personally, on a personal level, um, I don't see how you can um, um, not talk about politics, um, either in the pulpit or, or in, in church settings. And I know that for some people this is quite controversial, this idea about you know church and politics and religion and politics shouldn't mix. Um, but I just think politics is about how we are, how we organise ourselves as society, what what we prioritise as society, how we treat each other, and um, all those kind of things, which Jesus was quite hot on, really. Jesus talked quite a lot about it. Um, and so for me, it goes hand in hand. And I'm not talking about party politics here, but rather about the more general, wider issues, pol political issues that affect us, um, which I think as Christians we need to be speaking into and reflecting on and praying about. And so uh, tell us a little bit about um, the work that you're doing, where you're based, and um, what kind of issues are front and centre of where you are at the moment? So I'm in a very um, urban context. Uh, Moss Side and Wally Range are just on the border of the city of Manchester. Um, and Moss Side in particular, if you've heard of Moss Side, um, you're most likely to have heard of it for events that um, are not positive, um, many of which happened decades ago. So it had um, a so it has a reputation about uh, sort of gangs and violence and all this kind of stuff. And there were Moss Side riots, which happened 30 years ago, but um, still as something that when people talk about Moss Side, that tends to be where they go to. Um, both areas are, um, are areas of um, high diversity, um, pockets of deprivation. Um, and, but if I talk about them in these terms, it paints quite a gloomy picture, which doesn't reflect um, what actually happens on the ground. So both Moss Side and Wally Range are really um, active, vibrant communities. Of course, there are issues and there are issues in all communities. Um, but there are uh, it's rich with people who are um, politically active and who are very active within the local community. And the main issues that um, th that in recent years have really come to the fore around e e the environment, ecological issues, uh, both local and wider, and also issues around inclusion and diversity, being quite diverse areas themselves, and issues around poverty as well. These are the kind of issues that are really sort of um, focal points for people in these areas. And with your work with the, the diocese, your environmental officer work, um, how have you found churches across the diocese uh, responding uh, 
to the work that you're doing it are you finding you're pushing it an open door or that some people still need to be convinced that this is important how, how does it how does it work out so i think there's um i think in general it's been really positive people recognize you know this we're in a climate emergency we're christians we're called to safeguard creation and um people are very um keen to do what they can and uh, there are a couple of um sort of barriers that come up so the first one being i mean we've been through 18 months of quite a lot of trauma and loss and um and in terms of you know financial loss as well as you know the awful loss that we've had you know our friends and family and people that we've loved who have died um and there's a lot of uncertainty about the church's future what it's going to look like in the future and so there's a lot of energy being put into you know how do we um, how do we do mission? How do we reconnect? And sometimes um, the climate care, creation care is not seen, therefore, and um, is not seen as part of mission and, and that sort of, um, you know, the wider sense of mission and, and evangelism, which is one of the reasons why we wrote the book Climate Action as Mission, because um, I passionately believe that climate action is integral to the whole mission of God and something that we are called to do as Christians. So one of the, one of the comments that I've sometimes had is that um we like doing green issues but we need to get people into church and actually um they're, they're both intertwined i mean mission is more than just getting people into church it's about our whole living and serving god and um, the way we are called to within our world and but mission uh, but climate action as well as being part of that wider missional core that we have does actually build those relationships with people and start those conversations with people who are maybe not people of faith or maybe people on the, the margins, but who we share this concern that we have for the environment and for um, ecological issues. And so actually there is a really good starting point. And there are um, very last year, Tear Fund with Youthscape um, released some research, particularly around young people. Um, and one out of... 10 young people um, research said that they didn't think their churches were doing enough about the climate emergency. These young people are telling us that they really want us to speak out. They see it as part of their Christian calling and they want to see churches living that out. And, and if we don't, we risk losing, we risk losing uh, young people. We risk um, being places that people don't see as, as places where that, the whole mission of God is lived out. And so it's vitally important to me. So one of the things that we do a lot of is talking about how this is missional. This is integral to mission. The other barrier um, is a more, you know, um, sort of practical barrier about the cost. It's, it's, you know, Church of England has a lot of very big, very old buildings. And although we really want to be green and we want to be carbon neutral, getting to that place in a big listed old building is really, really difficult. Um, and costs a lot of money if it's if it is possible at all so we're having to do a lot of creative stuff and and work together and just see what we can do take those small steps um simply switching our energy from um to a renewable source reduces carbon footprint by a significant amount so we're trying to sort of engage people on a more um you know sort of easier accessible level yes the whole it can be quite overwhelming this is a huge task that we have at hand but we can all take those small steps that will make a difference. Fantastic. Um, now, before we dig into the lectionary readings for a bit, I say each week we uh, 
get a bit of a briefing, a rundown from the JPIC team about some of the relevant political things that are going on at the moment. And there's quite a lot going on at the moment. So um, I'll just uh, work through some of these. Obviously, we are still in party conference season and it's the Conservative Party conference, in fact, in Manchester. And here you are. Uh, So that's uh, something we might touch on a bit later. And one of the comments the team have particularly picked out is conversations about women's safety and the comments from the Prime Minister about uh, not supporting misogyny as a hate crime. And that might be worth some reflection. Obviously, universal credit is due to uh, lose the uplift tomorrow. Um, We've got all the stuff that's come out through these Pandora papers and the questions that raises about honesty in in public life. we obviously have the ongoing protests from Insulate Britain. Um, indeed, we're you know having waved the, the booklet that Mark was involved in. See Mark's face in the paper, who's part of that. Um, it's Challenge Poverty Week north of the border in Scotland this week. We've, this Sunday is Homeless Sunday. And I know uh, you might want to talk to us a bit about that in a second. I know you're uh, involved with that. Obviously, October is Black History Month. Uh, as well. So that's the first, we our first podcast in October. And at the moment, World Faith Leaders, uh, a meeting on met yesterday in the Vatican to discuss COP with less than a month to go. So not a lot, really. Uh, Quite a week. At the moment. <laughs> um, but so this Sunday is Homeless Sunday. Um, and I know you're involved in a special service as part of that. Tell us a bit about yeah. that. Yeah, so this whole week is actually World Homeless Week and it culminates in um, Homelessness Sunday on Sunday. Um, Now, I've been um, involved in different ways in um, sort of homeless charities for quite a few years. I myself, um, as a teenager, lived in a homeless hostel for about six weeks and then had another brush with well, a very real fear of being homeless when I was a, a teenage mum and couldn't really make bills. So it's it's very much something that's very close to my heart because um, not having a place that you can set roots in, not having a place that you can call your own, um, is is can be really really difficult. It can um, it impacts on your life in so many different ways. Um, so I've been a trustee and I'm now an ambassador for a charity, a small charity called Church Homeless Trust, um, and. I work with them in sort of um, engaging um, and um, churches in and sort of spreading the the some of the stories about homelessness. I'm particularly interested in um, rough sleeping is something that we know you know we hear a lot about. We we you know and it's and it's really really difficult and really sad. You know I can't imagine what it must be like coming up to winter to sleep on the streets. Um, but there was also a hidden homelessness, people living in homeless hostels um, and, you know, overnight care. And what Church Homeless Trust does particularly is, is provide grants to individuals to give them a, um, the opportunity to maybe go and see their um, family and loved ones. They haven't got enough money to do that. And just um, maybe have some clothes to go to an interview. The kind of stuff that that we don't often think about, but that's so essential to um, our dignity and our wholeness of life. So... Yeah, so on Sunday, I'm um, leading a special World Homeless Week service um, and um, using liturgy that I've written, which 85 or so churches across the country are going to be using over this week as well, um, just to to address some of these issues around homelessness and and pray for um, pray for, you know, the, those charities or the charities across the country that are doing so much for them and and look at how we can better um, serve um, in societies that we don't have this issue of homelessness 
um, as much as we do or people in fear of losing their homes. Thank you. Well, we pray that that goes well uh, on Sunday. Um, of that, the rundown from, from the team, uh, two or three of those obviously seem particularly relevant to your environmental work, obviously Interstate Britain and also COP, um, and great that the faith leaders have been meeting at the Vatican to work out uh, uh, how to respond uh, to that. Uh, how are, how's COP looming um, affecting uh, what you're doing at the moment? Well, um, yes, COP26 is a big thing happening in less than a month now. Um, we've done... The Young Christian Climate Network, I don't know whether yeah, you're aware yeah. of those, so they've been, they're a fantastic um, network of young people aged 18 to 30 who are currently journeying, who are doing a relay. They started off in Cornwall at G7 in June. They're now in Newcastle. And um, just over a month ago, they were in Manchester. And they're really interested in issues of climate justice, of raising, you know, the, the, the issues at the moment are that the rich countries are contributing the most to um, the climate emergency um, and are also best equipped to protect themselves against the climate emergency and are also at the moment not experiencing the kind of hardships um, that the poorer countries are experiencing as a result of the climate emergency. There's a great injustice happening and so what a lot of um, what we've been doing with YCCN and since with schools and with our churches is raising these issues of climate justice and sort of campaigning for, for instance, the level of foreign aid um, that we were giving pre-COVID to be reinstated um, so, and for us to be really looking at how we can support those countries that are most vulnerable um, to what is happening now. This is, this is happening now. People are losing their lives and livelihoods and homes as a result of the climate emergency now. So a lot of what we're doing in the run up to COP is um, sending out that message to our local MPs and to wider leaders um, that we would like... Um, you know, people to be engaged much more into climate justice and for those who have the ability, those richer countries, to be doing much more um, with the resources they have to support those countries who have less. Yeah, really praying that uh, COP26 sees some substantive progress. Um, yeah. And we will be monitoring it closely here on Politics in the Pulpit. Yeah. So I wonder if we might turn to... Um, the readings for this week, which are from Job 23, Hebrews 4, and then our gospel reading from Mark 10. So the same books as last week, but quite different readings from last week. Um, Chris, how did you, where do you start with, with readings like this? So uh, did you find that one of them just sort of totally uh, captured what you're thinking? Did you naturally see links between them all? Have you already worked out what ones you wouldn't be spending much time on? <laughs> well, um, given that I was, I read this with with the, you know, in the context of knowing that I'd be coming on this podcast. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, it's, it's very early for me to be doing sermon prep, but this is what I did. Um, so I, yeah, so I read this in the context of coming on po politics in the pulpit, and the gospel reading, the Mark, the Gospel of Mark. I mean, the story in there. It's, it, there's so much in there, and I, I almost naturally grav gravitated towards that. The story of the rich, uh, the rich young ruler, and, and the conversation that he has with Jesus. However, before I thought, I'm going to just step back a little minute from that and go to Job first of all, because the Book of Job to me is just such a fantastic. Um, an interesting book and um, and it's one that I um, we don't often really explore in great depth I think in churches but it's it's a story um, for those you know we, we know it's a story of a faithful dedicated man 
who nevertheless suffers and suffers a great deal in it. And it asks us um, some of those questions that we often ask about why does suffering happen? And, and those questions that I often get, you know, why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people? Um, so and it, the whole book sort of reminds us um, and puts paid to the theory that somehow if you're experiencing hardship um, or suffering, that it's because of your, something you've done or because you're not a good person or because, you know, you're not worthy um, and that kind of thing. The book of Job really puts paid to that. Um, and now clearly there may be times when, you know, we experience hardship because we've done something uh, that maybe we shouldn't have done. But a lot of the time, a lot of the suffering and hardship that, that we see in the world cannot be explained in that way and shouldn't be explained in that way. And there's a lot of language in society about sort of this idea that people have earned success, people have earned their worth and their value and their status. And if you apply yourself, if you work hard enough, you'll be successful. And that implies that if you have hardship or you are struggling, somehow that is because of something that you have done. It's because of who you are. Um, and it can lead to sort of value judgments being placed on people that are rooted in success and failure. And this whole book of Job challenges this and, and says this is not what this is about. I was particularly struck um, I was particularly struck by the language in, in, in some of the Job, what Job says. He talks about how his complaint is bitter. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's this, there's this phrase that if I go forward, he, God, is not there or backward, I cannot perceive him. And it just it was really echoed for me um, with the uh, Psalm 139. Oh, okay. And yep. it really kind of, it's it's really almost saying the opposite of what Psalm 139 mm -hmm. says. You know, if you, Psalm 139 says, you know, wherever I go, you are there. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go, you know, the farthest limits of the sea, you are there. And what Job is saying, what Job feels at this time is that no matter where I go, I can't find you. And I remember, I just remember thinking as I was reading it, you know, we all know that God is with us at all times and in all places, but here, Job cries out that he doesn't feel God's presence. He feels alone and he feels abandoned. Um, and interestingly, the, the lectionary snips out a chunk of Job. We go yes, from one bit of Job to the next bit of Job. And in that bit that's snipped out, Job does acknowledge that even though he can't sense God, God is there. Mm. And this reminds me so much of the Psalms and this crying out to God, whom they know is there, but they feel they feel quite alone. And for me, it just feels really reassuring that this is in scripture, that it's okay to cry out. It's okay to say, I feel really abandoned. This is, this is part of our human nature sometimes that we do feel this way. It doesn't mean that we're a bad or faithless person. It doesn't mean that somehow, um, you know, we've brought it on ourselves or anything like that. It just means like the prophets, like people throughout time um, were struggling and we're calling out and you know what god is here and god hears that even if we can't re if, if you know that moment in time we don't know that and it just reminds me that it's okay to cry out it's okay to say and to feel these things um it's who we are it makes us human and we're loved in that whole sort of human experience and it doesn't reflect who we are as faithful disciples if we have these moments of feeling alone um, and that also this sort of level that we know of success and stability in our lives 
it's not reflection on who we are as people. Again, I think it's not reflection on who we are as people, no matter what society might say of us. If we're feeling alone and feeling abandoned and, and going through hardship, it's not be it's not because of who we are or you know something we've done. It's simply part of you know life, and and it doesn't mean anything bad about ourselves. I love that link with Psalm one hundred and thirty nine. I hadn't hadn't made that. Um, usually, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday morning. We often record on on Monday. Uh, early on, first thing on a Tuesday, we have a Bible study group here in the building, and and I've been using my prep on Monday to basically you know serve the tuesday morning bible study so i had to do it without your guidance uh, this mm -hmm. morning I, I think they'd have loved the psalm 139 connection although mm -hmm. big shout out to the tuesday morning bible study group who i know will all be listening to the podcast this week <laughs> to find out what the real answers should have been oh um, i don't know about that <laughs> but i uh, i love that um yeah there's just something in this job story which i think is so significant in that way isn't it about where we place value and yeah. uh worth um i was very struck that the bit from the job reading that really stood out for me was was the last verse of the reading verse 17 there's a there's this yet i am not silenced by the darkness there's a defiance yes you know which is almost an illogical defiance everything around me has fallen apart but i refuse to be silenced and yeah. um that i found that uh yeah. rather uplifting and, and I think that's really important for us to remember, you know, he's, we don't need to say everything's great all the time and everything's wonderful yes. all the time to be people of faith. We can yep. acknowledge and we can say it and we can shout it out. Sometimes things are really rubbish and that doesn't make us less people of faith. And we don't need to be silenced by that. We can scream into the darkness and say, this is rubbish. And we, we know. But even that act of saying that is an act of hope because we're acknowledging actually that we can say this and that there are people who are listening, that God is here even in this, this darkness. You know, the, dark, the light can never be put out no matter how dark it may feel. And this whole thing for me about this struggle and this, this where we place our worth is then how I then came to the gospel reading. Yeah, I was just thinking that connection there is a good one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was um, one of the things I am really passionate about in my preaching is sort of listening to what's not being said or listening to whose voices aren't being included or listening or and sort of observing what kind of behaviours are going on um, in terms of privilege and status and, and that kind of thing. And what really strikes me is that when this, this rich young ruler comes and asks, um, comes and speaks to Jesus, he doesn't say how, first of all, he comes almost as an equal. He kind of approaches Jesus, um, you know, as, as, as almost like a, he, he sort of acknowledges that Jesus is a good teacher, but he kind of approaches Jesus as if they're kind of on a par. And, um, you know, there's no kind of like, um, oh, you know, we hear sometimes from um, some of the, some other people, people on the margins, that they really approach Jesus tentatively. You know, the menstruating woman, very, very tentatively touches Jesus's coat. And um, Bartimaeus shouts out, son of David, have mercy on me. There's a sense of which I'm coming to somebody, you know, who, and, and I want to, and, and I'm feeling quite humble about this in your presence. And there's not a sense with that with the rich young ruler, this, this rich man. There's a sense that um, he's coming almost on a par. Um, and he asks, he doesn't ask, how can I be a faithful follower? 
or how can I live God's way? He asks, how can I inherit eternal life? So the question is around his own desire for success in the next life, which is quite interesting. Um, and Jesus, after listening, uh, listing all the commandments, um, he then looks on, on the man with love. I think it's really important that we remember that. Jesus looks on him with love. We're faced with that infinite mercy and that compassion of God with us. And then he challenges the rich young, he challenges this, this man and says, give up all the success you have and follow me. And what he's trying to sort of say here poignantly is that your worth doesn't lie in your success and your status. There is something bigger than all of this. And, and I think, you know, when we're talking about, again, that really links with what, how Job is and that idea of suffering and hardship. This is not where our worth is. And this is what is quite difficult for this, the, this man to, to understand and to, because that's where you get the impression that's where his, 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 he's put his, his sort of worth and status has been in, in what he's got. And he's given, he's done his bit, he's, he's followed the commandments. Um, but his first question isn't, how can I humbly come to you, God, and, and live? It is, what can I get in, mm. in eternal life? I just found that really interesting. It, this this Sunday was our harvest service, the Sunday that's just gone. And we sang a hymn. It's a song, really, that I remember from my childhood singing in school. Um, I'm not going to sing it for you now, so you don't need to worry, but I'll say some of the words. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to put off any podcast listeners. Um, but one of the verses, I just remembered it when I was reading it. It says, the world wants the wealth to live in state, but you show a new way to be great. Like a servant you came, and if we do the same, we'll be turning the world upside down. And this just seems so relevant to what's happening here with a rich, um, this rich man, you know, this, this man who has all this status and power. And Jesus is saying, this is not where your worth is. I don't know that one. I thought you were going to give me a rendition of Cauliflower's Fluffy or something. I was, you know, uh, I, I was ready for that. Oh, you I must listen to this to... song. It's a very good one. I need to learn some more harvest songs, obviously. Um, yes, I, I was very struck by verse 21, where it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Because mm. we don't hear that in Mark very much. Uh, mm. It's very unusual. Mm. Mm. Um, and I wondered, so I've been thinking about that quite a lot. and trying to work out mm. kind of why that's there. Um, but I, I, as I've been thinking about it this week, I just wonder if Jesus' love for this person in front of him is in contrast to someone whose love and affection and commitment is to getting on and being more successful and accumulating wealth. And and I, I guess I, I wondered if that was why it was there. Um, and I always wonder as well whether, I don't know if you ever read it like this, it almost feels like a bit of an exasperated love. So he knows this man isn't going to get it. Yeah. But he's still, in the way that I guess one is occasionally, I'm tempted to look at my children. I know they don't get it, but I love them anyway. And it, I just there's something about it's almost a resigned loving yeah. in a way yeah. um but i thought that verse really sort of it's not needed for the narrative no and no. yet it's so important i think that yeah. i think there's there's quite a bit of that in that and, and and you know i mean jesus does love this man you know and and when you're about to sort of completely challenge and turn this man's life upside down yeah. Um, it's much more likely to be heard if you if you 
if you you know show that you you love this person and that you're you know you want this person to hear you and and just you know and it's a reminder to us all again yeah we're gonna get it wrong you know sometimes there is this thing isn't there that um as christians we have to be perfect and uh we you know we're, we're obviously we're going to do all the things that we're supposed to do but actually reality is we get it wrong all the time but jesus still looks on us with love and compassion and that love and compassion draws us back in to that relationship with him and then the the challenge that he obviously off jesus offers to the man mm. um you know sort of to get up to sell what you have to give it to the poor to come follow me I mean, the sort of the getting up and the come follow me are the sort of things I think we often read with the the healing stories. Yeah. And I wonder if there's a sense in which there is a sickness here that needs yeah. healing. Yeah. I, I wondered about that connection. Mm. And then in our Bible study this morning, we were talking about the importance of selling what you have and then giving it to the poor. So actually two slightly different things, yeah. because if it was just about self-denial and devotion to Jesus, then actually it's about selling what you have and just relying on Jesus. But what you do with it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But actually what you do with it does matter. And the second part is about giving it to the poor. And there's just something about it. For me, I link it with the story of Zacchaeus, you know. Um, exactly what I was going to say. Oh, OK. I yeah. love that story because he doesn't yeah. pray the prayer. He doesn't, you know, he gives away the money. And then Jesus says salvation has come to this house. And there's yeah. just a sense in which salvation for the rich has to involve a redistribution of their wealth yes there is we don't like talking about money in church do we? <laughs> we don't like talking about how we spend our money and you know i, I don't know whether there's a bit of a british thing about you know we don't talk about these things but this is very clearly i think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there david it's, it's about it's what we do with our money is really important actually what we do with what we have and that, you know, is our money is really important. Where do we put that money? And and how do we, you know, are we going to be like the man who builds a bigger barn and, and stores it all away? Or are we going to, you know, not only are we going to, are we going to spend our money, but are we going to use it in ways that honour um, the commandments, that honour that commandment to love our neighbour, that, you know, seek um, to, to, you know, um, help those on the margins what we do with our money is really important this is a huge challenge to all of us because i mean on one level it's kind of saying you know you should give everything up and and just follow jesus now that's really really you know that's hugely challenge to all of us because most of the um, i mean I, I can speak for myself um, and i imagine there'll be other people um, listening to this podcast you know we, i'm i'm not rich in in you know world terms but i certainly have enough you know i've got a roof over my head i've got you know clothes in my wardrobe i've got food in my fridge and and um this challenge to sort of ask myself well how you know should how much should i be giving some of this up how much of this is is actually you know um holding me back from really following jesus and this is the key really in this passage it's not just give everything up um, it's give everything, give it, give it to the poor, and follow me. So there's a sense by which what we're doing is part of this. Um, we're, we're releasing the stuff that Jesus is calling us to follow, and I think part of the thing we have here with the rich man is that his wealth is actually stopping him. Um, it's not it's not in terms of the the amount of wealth he's got but it's it's the fact that 
where he's putting his value and worth is stopping him truly following Jesus. And that's what we need to sort of evaluate. What is stopping us in our life from following Jesus? Because whatever it is, we need to give it up. Mm. I was wondering um, whether there was a connection here as well with, see, we've been in Mark's gospel for a while. And, and last week there was the the stuff on both with the children and divorce. Um, and a lot of that began with a question about the law. And and here the man is quoting, you know, Deuteronomy 5 or Exodus or whatever. Um, but the law is only kept through concrete acts of justice, seems to be the reply that they keep getting. Whenever they come with a, a question about what's the, you know, what is the regulatory response? It's like, well, it's only kept through acts of justice that point to the kingdom of God. Yeah. Or else it's not. I was interested, I was reading somewhere that the defrauding bit in, um, mark here is isn't actually in the list in deuteronomy and, and in exodus and mark's making a point about you know the need for economic justice and mm. privilege to be checked here um, absolutely but i think there's a connection with that you know you can tick the boxes but actually if it's not connected to a life that's lived justly yeah. it's missing the point yeah it's the heart and head stuff, isn't it? So, you know, we can all have a checklist and say, chick, 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 chick. But have we really, have have we, what what's, you know, have we done this because we've needed to tick the box? Or have we done this because we deeply, faithfully believe that this is who we're called to be and this is the right way to live? And, and this is, I think, at, sort of at the heart of what's going on here. So the rich young man has done these things. He's ticked those boxes. But... Why has he done it? Has he done it because out of this heart for justice, out of this loving neighbour as self, out of this, you know, humble recognition that he is no better than anybody else and this, this desire to follow God's way? Or has he done it because he wants to inherit something in the next kingdom? And, and this is kind of, you know, really at the heart of what we're doing. Are we ticking these boxes because we know, you know, because we think, this is what will get me this ticket to heaven and I'll be okay? Or have we ticked these boxes because we firmly believe that our siblings in Christ um, are as worthy of, of, of love and, and, stay, you know, and all those kind of things as I am, and I want to make sure that I'm doing as much as I can to sort of live that out in my life? Yeah. Um, I, I'm conscious that we haven't really mentioned the passage in hebrews 4 yet mm. and we might just uh, give that a moment or or two um is there anything in here that you'd be seeking to tie into the conversations we've been having so far well i didn't spend as much time on hebrews as i did on the other two but there is um i think it's line um verse 16 which talks about approaching the throne of grace with boldness because so mm. that we will find the mercy in fact receive mercy and find grace in times of need. It's a reminder again, first of all, that that of this merciful, compassionate God, um, who um, in our times of need is there, in that darkness is there, when we're, we're having that hardship is there. Um, there's also in Hebrews the um, the you know, the reminder that Jesus has been tested and suffered, and and. Um, in you know is is the ultimate image of somebody without sin yeah, he was tested and suffered and received hardship um, and therefore through Jesus we have a God who who totally understands 
um, what you know what it's like to live through hardship and suffering, and also who is merciful and gracious, who does look upon us with compassion. And it's God's grace and mercy which sustains us. Uh, again, not our success, not our worth. We're not worthy. We're, we're not a poss- None of us are worthy, really, to live in the, you know, in the kingdom with God, you know. But it's God's grace and God's mercy, seeing that value in us, um, despite everything, we're of worth and value to God. And that's independent of any of our earthly successes, but just because of the grace and mercy of God. Mm, I, I was struck uh, along not dissimilar lines with, in verse 15, where it talks about uh, we don't have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy yeah. for our weaknesses. And for me, that connected with the, the line in Mark about Jesus looked at him and loved him. You yeah. know, there is just something deeply, uh, I was about to say deeply human. I guess I do mean deeply human. Actually, it's something deeply compassionate and merciful uh, in that. And then the first part of Hebrews, um, verse 12 and, and 13, the word of God is alive and active and uh, all that kind of thing. I, I guess what we see with the the rich man in Mark is just a textbook example of that being seen in practice, isn't it? You know, the, yeah. the word of God comes to him and it, it's a really big challenge and it's alive and active and pushing in places where sometimes it's hard to be pushed. And I just thought, actually, here is what it's saying in Hebrews being lived out and experienced by this uh, rich man in, in Mark chapter 10. Absolutely. And this this whole, you know, the, the, what the Hebrews reminds us is that, you know, Jesus is God with us. Jesus has walked our path. Jesus, you know, Emmanuel has. And so we are we are intimately connected to God through Jesus. And, you know, that connection um, is and that gift that we have through that connection is just, you know, the mercy and grace that comes from that is, is just such a gift. Mm. Well, that's probably a wonderful note on which to finish our reflections this morning. I, some weeks I find I do this and I think I've got nothing more on those. I feel like these are passages I could go on reflecting on for hours. They're so, they're so rich. Yeah. Um, I think the challenge preaching them this week is actually, you know, not preaching four sermons in one and, and actually trying to hone in on what, what the actual message is. Absolutely. Um, but Grace, thank you so much for joining us on politics in the pool we know you're a friend of jpit you've spoken at jpit conferences yes. before great to have you on the podcast and we hope the uh, world homeless uh, sunday uh, goes well and wish you well in all your work building up to cop um, as well and friends watching, thank you for being with us. Uh, if you've enjoyed this edition of Politics in the Pulpit, uh, then please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast because that helps other people find us or even just because it's nice for us to receive it if that's a better motivation for you. Uh, and share it with your friends. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can uh, follow us, Politics in the Pulpit, on Twitter and engage with us. Let us know what you're doing with these passages this week. If you've got a a snazzy way of, of working out how to preach Job. We'd all love to hear about it. Um, and if you might have other things from Mark 10 that we want to reflect on. So that's hashtag politics in the pulpit. But as we go into uh, our week now, we do that with a blessing, which actually is taken from Crumbs of Hope, written by Claire McBeath and Tim Presswood, who are also based in Manchester. So a bit of a Manchester-themed week this week. So may the blessing of the God of peace and justice be with us. May the blessing of the Son who weeps the tears of the world's suffering be with us. May the blessing of the Spirit who inspires us to reconciliation and hope be with us from now 
and into eternity. Amen. 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 See you all next week.